What does financial inclusion of women in Africa look like? What are practical steps and tools that can help? And how do we galvanize support for these issues? These are all the questions we hope to get answered on this episode. Welcome to another episode of Health Talk Africa, a podcast by the African Public Health Network at the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. My name is Dr. Essien, and our guest speakers on this episode are Oluwatosin Olashende and Ifioma Udo. Have a listen. So welcome everyone to this segment of Faces of Africa. Um, we are the African Public Health Network. My name is Ukema Essien. I am the current president and I'm very excited to have this conference. This is our final day. Um, the theme for this year's conference is Advancing Women's Equity in Africa. Um, today we have two wonderful guests that will be talking with us. Before I introduce them, I just want to mention again that we are also sponsored by the Johns, Hop Johns Hopkins Alumni Association. Um, the hashtag is Faces of Africa 2021. If you would like to tweet or connect with us in social media, um, there's that. Uh, next slide, please. Okay. So our first guest today is Ufama Udo. She is wow. the founder and CEO of Shecluded, the number one financial growth company for women in West Africa. She is an expert in gender lens investing operations product development and technology startups. She has a master's in management science and operations research from the University of Lancaster. Her professional experience has spanned years working with global and Pan-African brands like PwC, Iroko TV and Complex Africa. Ifoma is currently championing the drive for financial inclusion for African women through her work as she included. Welcome Ifoma. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, hello, everybody. Nice to have you. Uh, next slide, please. Great. Um, our next guest today is Olua Tosin. Uh, she is Ola Shende. She is a professional accountant with over 10 years of experience spanning across accounting, auditing, financial management and taxation. She is the founder and CEO of Money Africa, an edtech platform for enhancing financial literacy and investments leveraging on technology. Uetosin is a Washington Mandela Fellow. She was a finalist for the Future Awards in 2019. She was selected as one of the top 100 women by Leading Ladies Africa. She was also one of the top eight traders by CNBC Africa in 2012, a member of the Golden Key International Honor Society. She has spoken at TEDx, been featured on BBC UK, BBC UK Al Jazeera, The Guardian, and several other publications. Uh, thank you for coming uh, and joining us, Ulua Tosin. Uh, I can't thank see you so her. much for having me join you. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Um, okay, so uh, Sean, can you go down one more slide? 
Yes. So before we get started, just a quick uh, announcement again. We are running a competition. If you are a current JHU student, please, you are uh, welcome to turn in your entries. The deadline is April 30th. Um, the competition is on the future of the African girl child. We have more information on our website. Um, and here is the link to register. Um, if you don't mind someone from um, African Public Health Network, please put the link also in the chat for people that want to copy um, after we take off the slide. Um, and then this competition is co-sponsored by the Department of International Health at Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. So again, thank you to them and thank you to all our other sponsors um, that I can't mention at the, at the moment. Okay, uh, that's it. Thank you, great. Um, I, I know I just read your bios, but um, I like to also say, you know, sometimes our guests might want us to know more about them than was in the bio. So I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to start out that way. Um, do you want to tell us a bit more about your background before we get into the other questions? All right, I can go first. So if, in terms of our background, I think um, the bio sort of covered it fully. Um, but prior to moving back to Nigeria, I studied and worked in South Africa for over 10 years and working in the space about financial literacy, um, about 60% of our target market are actually women and just being able to educate and able to you know, make influence. And it's quite interesting to see how financial education is very critical in playing roles like adoption, you know, inclusion amongst others. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting play to, play to place, in, place to play in and it's quite rewarding. Thank you. Awesome. Okay, so a bit about me and how I ended up with the FinTech for Women. Um, my last job was at a seed funding company and I was the CEO and um, I was there for four years. While I was there, I actually wanted to uh, make an investment in a female startup. And guess what? I actually didn't see, you know, like I was there for four years. I sat down in different panels and I didn't see women entrepreneurs coming for funding. And it struck me because my first thought was that the men were smarter. And, you know, when I heard them pitch, I said, no, they, they were not smarter. And it, I mean, it's so something in me to say, if women don't get funding, the narrative that women are small will always be the case. And, um, I just felt like, I mean, at that time, I was having my third baby, and I used to be this, I used to feel like I was this superstar, and I was wondering why at sea level, I didn't see a lot of women, and by that time, I felt the weight that they all felt, and I saw why many of them just fell off, so I just felt compelled to do what I needed to do, so I went out, and I said I was going to start a finance company for women. That was just it. I think that was the only motivation for me. Yeah. Well, well, thank you. I, I feel like you already answered one of my future questions, your motivations, but that's great. That's awesome. Um, that means we're, we're on the same bandwidth. Um, and I just want to take a step back because I mean, someone has asked me um, sort of like, what, what does financial inclusion have to do with public health? Or why, why do you feel like it's a needed part of this segment? Um, I guess my response should have been like, have you seen the amount of grants writing workshops that uh, different schools of public health have? Um, no matter what it is you're trying to do, change the world, whatever it is, um, understanding how money can help you do that is a key part of it. And if we're talking about the well-being of individuals, 
if there isn't some path to financial stability in that community or in that country, you can't, I mean, there's, it goes on to mental health, it goes on to the, everything else in terms of health uh, for that individual. So I, I don't think it's a, a separate conversation. I think it's definitely a conversation we should have more of in public health, along with things like advocacy, um, which is why we're, we're doing this, even how to advocate through, um, through economic programs and through research. Um, that's, that's the background behind why I felt it was necessary to have this segment um, as part of our, our, our conference. Um, okay, so on to more questions. Um, I think just trying to introduce our audience more to the landscape. Um, you mentioned South Africa. Um, I, I know you guys are also like, you know, your work is also mostly in Nigeria or correct me if that's not correct. Um, but I want you to help us better understand the landscape um, for the economic landscape for women um, in, in the parts of Africa you're familiar with. Okay, great. So I'm gonna speak largely about Nigeria and things like that. So they just released some recent reports and we're just looking about financial inclusion. Approximately about 60% of Nigerians are actually do not actually have bank accounts. And if you look at drill down more into those numbers, you see that it's even higher with women. So these are like big problems. Now you're talking about what role does money play here in terms of public health and things like that. And what jumps out at me would be things like insurance, right? If I were to fall ill, and can I afford to go to the hospital to actually go get treated? Nigeria, for instance, has only 3% penetration level in terms of insurance, rate, insurance rates. So that means that a lot of people will be dependent on paying cash out of pocket or being reliant on family members. So how can we drive a change? How do we make this thing mainstream? How do we do it in such a way that the way people can just buy for stuff by the roadside or buy things gradually, they can start contributing towards their future when it comes to health, right? So if anything happens, they have a bit of a backup. So these are the kind of right. conversations that actually start with graduate numbers. So these are the kind of conversations that actually start with graduate numbers. Yeah, uh, sorry about that. Um, but thank you. Um, if I might, do you want to take a stab at that? Um, but thank you. Um, if I might, do you want to take a stab at that? Um, so from the work and from where I sit with the work that we do, I I notice, I, I always tell women, you know, like money is a defense. If you're in 20, maybe, I don't know whether in 1950 it was, a big of a defense, but in 2021, for any woman, money is a defense for anything you want to do. And I always tell them that you have um, goals, you have uh, marriage goals, you have relationship goals. It's very, very important to have financial goals. I mean, since running Shikuda, I mean, just by running a female focus company, I have met people that were killed by their boyfriend. I have met people that were raped. I have met people. So it's the social, the exposure that not being able to be financially independent or take decisions by yourself leaves you vulnerable. And that itself, I mean, I mean, just being on the field, I feel that that itself is more real to me than the statistics. What happens in terms of inclusion is that many women are, I feel that the way financial services currently serve 
in a way excludes women. And that's, I mean, that makes sense because these things are traditional institutions that have been formed way before women were integrated to the workplace. So a few changes have to be, they have to be made in terms of communication, in terms of the way it is served and presented to them. And in terms of literacy, on the other hand, more women need to be able to be literate about financial literacy. I tell them that it's not just studying, like financial literacy is knowing and consuming. Like before you say, hi, I don't want insurance, I don't want loans, I don't want anything. You should have a tangible reason, not just because you heard somebody saying it. You always look at the tools in the financial literacy box and say, how do you use that to better your life? So that's what I feel that inclusion for us and the way that we look at it means. Inclusion is actually a security for you as a woman. Great, thank you. Um, I think I was just trying to get us to paint a broader picture of um, the different segments that women sort of operate in right now for the economic landscape. Um, so I, I kind of gave us like, I kind of painted a broad picture. So there is the um, informal sector, um, then I guess more professional, and, and please correct me if I'm missing like major categories. Um, and then we have, um, in your cases, you guys are more tech and tech enabled category. Um, just painting what it looks like with women there. I know in the tech industry, there's very, there are not a lot of women in that space. So that, that's like a starting point. I know for a lot of women in the continent are more, are considered more in the informal sector. Um, can you help us better understand that landscape? It's, it's pretty much what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, so, so I was going to talk about the, um, I know like a lot of female uh, entrepreneurs, just generally in the continent, a lot of us occupy what is, is uh, usually referred to as the informal sector. Um, because, I mean, I, I feel like there should be an, another word for it, but I understand what, what they're getting at, the informal sector. So I think for us, just laying that out, like what that looks like um, for people that might not know anything about the economic landscape, uh, talking about the informal sector and then maybe more professional um, women or opportunities for women to work in. And then as entrepreneurs, I know you guys are more in, in tech enabled and, and tech space. Um, so also kind of what that looks like in these almost three different brackets um, and how women are faring through um, these different categories. Oh, you're muted. Oh, you're muted. Okay. Sorry, I didn't get your question. So I think I was just trying to get us to think. I think I was just trying to get us to think. Hi. So I think the first thing that struck me is the fact that, um, I mean, when I stepped out to do that, I was a bit shocked to find out that the formal landscape and the informal landscape in terms of entrepreneurship in Nigeria were two different things. It was a big shock because, I mean, we sit in the formal sector and we make policies for people in the informal sector. And we wonder why it feels like they don't think like us, they don't talk like us. Our problems are not their problems at all. So when we started doing Shibuta, I think one thing that I found out was that many women came in and started doing entrepreneurship for survival. So when I look at the 
informal landscape typically the drivers there are survival so it's um it's um it's service is um, entrepreneurship born out of the fact that hey i want to do something or i don't want to say i do or you know i want to provide for my family and most times their characteristics are um, largely unstructured largely one or two people is also characterized by a little or no income um, not enough access to capital to scale, no plans to scale, no plans to grow. In terms of sectors where women dominate in the informal sector, it's typically like retail. I mean, it was so funny because when we started, we wanted to use the normal classification of um, sectors for women, and we found that 90% went to retail. And for me, it was not sufficient data. We started trying to break down what are the similarities between retail human hair, retail makeup, retail fast fashion clothes, retail I, um, fashion design and stuff. And over time, we started seeing things that could help us advise them on how to get, um, um, how to get, um, how to get ahead. In terms of um, tech, I mean, with COVID and everything, we've seen a disruption where many women in the informal sector are trying to do both informal and tech, which is a good thing. I mean, we're still at the beginning stage and um, it's quickly and it's, and I'm excited to see what it actually translates to at the, at the long term. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's excellent contribution from informal, right? I think what we saw is that, um, what we saw is that a lot of, talking about entrepreneurs in this space it, it, there's a lot of research that says that you know nigeria has one of the highest number of female entrepreneurs which is actually true however that high number are actually operating in the survival space so it's in the informal space operating on a survival stage right knowing that the business could actually die off if anything were to happen in a short period of time so if that entrepreneur needed let's say um the child fell ill and they needed a significant amount of money to put the child back to good health, that could be it, you understand? So it's more like a survival mode. So why the statistics on average looks good, like we have a high number, the highest number of female entrepreneurs. The question is, what is the sustainability? What are they playing on? So this is more like just a really, really small, tiny business that could actually fall off within the next few days if they did not have the right cash flow. So those are some of the things that we saw. Now, speaking about the tech space and the role that women are playing here, there's still definitely a huge disparity and a huge gap, but we're seeing that gradually, um, there are more entrants into that space, but still, it will still take lots of years for us to be able to see what looks like um, a better represent, representation of women. Also in terms of funding, um, I mean, somebody did a research and the first quarter of this year, we're looking at um, businesses that raised funds. Um, we're looking at, you know, Flutter Wave and a couple of others. There was only one company that had a um, female co-founder that also raised the least amount of money. So like, yes, we're very happy to see a representation there, but still, it's still very, very, very little and we want to see more. So that's that's what the space currently looks like in terms of, you know, women participation and um, businesses and all of that there. Thank you. I would like to follow up on that line of questioning that so first of all, what do we do? What can we do to, so um, I hear this a lot, you know, there are not a lot of women in tech, there are not a lot of women in this industry or that industry. What, what can we 
do? Like, what are some practical things we can do to try to start changing that narrative? Um, I, even in the US, women are not funded as much like, I mean, it's like a worldwide problem. But um, since we're speak, speaking very uh, specifically about our geographical area, um, what can we do to sort of start or be part of changing that narrative, not start because it's already an ongoing process, but be part of it. Great. I love your question. You know, somebody tweeted something yesterday and went viral. Um, Mo Adele, she said that um, then there's a lot of wealth being built now in the tech space. She was quoting a, a person and that women are being um, excluded and it, was, it went really viral. Everybody was contributing. Now, this is what happens. It's a long-term play, right? Um, somebody was saying that, you know, when she was much younger, she wanted to be a doctor and her mom literally said that, you know, being a doctor is something for men. And then she then moved to liberal arts and did something. I'm not saying there's not anything wrong with that. But my point is, it's from the beginning, right? From the movies where I'm watching, my kids did the research and they were asking for the lead roles, like in terms of being a doctor, how many cartoon characters were actually women and all these little, little things are actually seeds that are being sown, right? And it builds up over time. So it's a long-term play. How do we start early? Right. How do we get them from the elementary level? And for those that are already out of university, how do we create more programs, more internship, more awareness? And let me tell you a quick example about myself. I've been in finance for over 10 years and um, tech is great. It enables you to skill and do many great things, right? But I've never been in the tech school, so I felt like it was out of reach. Now, this is despite my level of years of experience and knowledge and exposure, but I did not think like, oh, you know, it was an immediate thing. And it was over time. That like, oh, wait, you can actually go into a partnership, you can bring in the right team, and instead of becoming obvious. So now, why don't we use more mediums to actually make it clear that there are actually other roles here as well? There are other ways that people can actually play in that space. So more awareness, more honest conversations, right? Let's put it on the table, let's lay it bare, let's be honest. What are the com what is it you understand? And then we can start hearing more experiences and have practical ways. So not just theory, things that people get, like my own story, how I got here and things like that. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, uh, if you already want to take a stab at that. Okay, so one, like I said earlier, I don't know if you heard me, more women with more access to capital needs to sit on the table of funding. That is very, very important because they bring in perspective for gender lines that is currently missing. Um, secondly, is the fact that more women entrepreneurs need to have the confidence to step forward. There's this notion of like women have been told all their lives that there's such a thing as perfection. Like I've learned to be, I've, whereas men don't think about perfection as something in their diary when describing themselves. So removing the fear of failure and just stepping forward to these opportunities. And I mean, when I see them, oh, I make 40 million, I'm comfortable. I said, do you know you can make 400 million? And for me and my journey, she put it, it has been very useful for me because most of my mentors are men. So every time I go to them, they tell me it sounds very small. And because I'm conscious from my background with investing that I actually, this is a problem that women entrepreneurs have. I try to work on it. So yes, that's it. Thank you. Um, uh, this is actually a, a really thank you. Even, um, uh, this is actually uh, a really uh, sorry. I, I think you have to mute so that I don't echo. Uh, sorry. I, I think yeah. Uh, okay, great. Um, 
it's funny we're all trying to go live on the moon and zoom and everybody hasn't figured out a lot of these technical issues but anyway here we are um yes it's definitely something it's not something you would think of as a tangible thing that an asset to have but it's very necessary um if you're a woman with a startup trying to navigate the space you have to almost feel like you you know, you can own the world. Like you have to have that kind of confidence um, a lot of times um, to be able to navigate and accomplish what our, some of our male counterparts are able to in this space. Um, I have a lot of questions I would love to ask you guys, but I'm gonna kind of go uh, further ahead so that we have a short time for Q and A before we have to end. Um, I, I would like to know, just sort of move away from the, the landscape now and just talk more about how your companies um, empower women. All right, great. I really love that question. I'm just gonna jump right into it. I think what we've done is um, prior to us starting Money Africa, we started educating people about their money and taking risks and things like that. What we noticed was that a lot of our target women, which are mainly women, about target market, which are mainly women, we noticed that they were excellent savers, right? They were very good savers. But when it comes to taking risks, um, it was not that great. So being able to be educated, and the funniest thing is this, once they hacked it, they were actually better careful investors than their counterparts. So just being able to educate, how can we diversify our portfolio? How can we take some risk, calculated risk? How do we play a long-term game? So we see people investing for the very first time. We see people transitioning from being a saver to being an investor. We see people join up with budgets for the first time. And now the beautiful thing about those skills is that you also hand it over to your children. A lot of children, pick up their money habits from their parents. So now imagine now you're now financially independent, you understand the game, you can hand, hand this over as well to your children. So we're playing a long-term game, we're looking at the next 20 years, we're looking at the next 30 years, being able to rewire the mindset about investing. Now, another thing that changes the game is this, once people get started, it's like, it's like getting into a skincare regimen, and you can see the works, you can see how great it is, and then you're sold. So what happens is that they become better. So the investor you are today is better than the investor you were five years ago. You have the knowledge and they can just keep playing a long-term game. So it's very impressive what we've seen people, you know, investing for the first time, people playing long-term games, people getting their children and their, you know, spouses on board. And it's really amazing. Great, thank you. Uh, if Omar, do you wanna tell us how your company is also, um, I mean, she included it. I'm sure that's part of your intrinsic mission. Uh, but anyway, would you like to tell us how you're empowering women? Okay, so I'm not sure why I'm always about, I'm always like, I always cringe when I hear empowering women. You know, for some reason, you know, it makes me not feel powerful. So for us, what we want to do is to be able to create opportunities that enable women to meet their life goals. That is what I, I mean, that when I said she cleared, I never, empowerment never came to my mind. What came to my mind was the fact that there will be a woman somewhere sitting down with two kids and she might, all she needed to change her life was 100,000 naira or 200,000 naira and she's very hardworking. Can I yeah. give her that money and change her life? Yeah, that's what I mean by economically empowering women. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, maybe because I'm so for us, what we try to do is give women extra capacity to do more in terms of credit. Um, what we've also been able to do, because we're focused on one gender, we've been able to see 
like business insights. So if you come to us and say, hi, I want to start XXX, we're able to say, hi, um, we first started XXX and failed because of this, 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 this. So we think you shouldn't go this way. Or when you come to us and we say, hi, so there's somebody that's doing what you're doing on a bigger level. We can do an introduction and say um, that happened. So another thing that we said during, during the pandemic was that during the pandemic, I found out that after a couple of months, most of the women said they were broke. And I was like, how can you be broke? I mean, you go for facials, one million and stuff. I'm like, how? And it, it began, it was something that I've noticed over time, which is the fact that many women are, they are spending so much time trying to make money, but not consciously growing money. So it's the fact that, you know, that you cannot um, make money all your life. No matter how much you try, you can grow money at some point. So we started trying to, and that's when we got a world advisor to the company to say, hey, hi, um, every client that we work with, especially the ones that are above a certain income, has to talk to a world advisor. And it was very, very, for most of them, it was the for. For all of them, it was the first time in their life they were talking to work advisor. So things like what are your financial goals, what are important to you and stuff, they've never had that before. And we were able to do that for them. They set their financial goals. Then what other assets? What are the assets? What do you need to do to meet those goals? So do you need to set up? Um, do you need to set up? Do you need to do agri-tech investments? Do you need to set up like a money market fund? Do you need to do stuff? And it was very, very it was, I, I mean, for them, it was really insightful because from that experience, it showed them that they were actually setting up themselves for failure because it brings to fact that how, how do you live your lifestyle in terms of, you know, what do you spend versus what you make in terms of your goals and projecting forward, where do you want to be and what um, do you want to make out of it? So that's what we do. We want um, to be able to say, if you need extra leverage to do more, we give you more. And if you need the literacy and the guide to actually get a goal and stuff, we will actually help you through that whole process. That's amazing. Awesome. Thank you. Um, my next question is, how do we then, so as people, I mean, to make this also relevant for people here, how do we become advocates? How do we become a part of um, creating or letting people know that there needs to be as he has creating more financial inclusion for women, what do people like us do? Um, I, I think um, although Tosin already mentioned, you know, having like some of these type of conversations um, and, and bringing people that might know nothing about the space, but, but what else can we do? Because um, we want to leave today with at least one or two practical things or at least a website or a tool or platform or something um, to go to, to be able to advocate. Right. I think number one way to advocate is number one, you have to believe in it, right? You have to believe in it. So you can't advocate for what you don't believe in. So you're not saying it because everybody's talking about it. You're actually going there to actually find real data. You're having honest conversations. So you have to believe it. Now, once you believe it, the next place you're advocating is your immediate environment. They are more likely to listen to you, right? So if you see businesses that want to grow, they go use influencers because you know that people that listen to them and trust them are highly likely to listen to them. So start with your immediate surrounding. So if my sister were to say something about this, I can carefully correct her in love and be able to explain the data that this is what it's saying. So she's more likely to listen to me. So you can start from that space in your own little corner. 
So in your own little Facebook post, in your own little Instagram story, start having those conversations and start trying to influence people that are most likely to listen to you first before we start thinking about the bigger stage and how to impact all these other people so we can start with our immediate environment. And we have to understand it first. That's very practical. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so conversations are very necessary. That's one very big way. Another way that I have said is like, I always tell my team, I'm waiting for the day that I will write 10 checks of $100,000 each and put in women's businesses. The people to treat this coin are still women because guess what? I mean, I have clients that I've seen walk away from marriages and they're broke and they used to be normal before. Like I've seen firsthand the position that women play as being players on the receiving end and how just not being powerful enough to secure yourself can affect, can change your life in a minute and that of your children. So as every woman I inspire you, I say there's something in your mind that you need to constantly build to say, I want to be that woman that makes that difference. And every time you see, and that's, as in, and that doesn't start from when you have $100,000. It starts from even when you're trying to make every day's decision. Choosing women and sharing opportunities. There are some people that send you opportunities to say, hey, apply here for some grants, apply here for some days, speak here because so so and so person will be here. And sometimes many of them are guys and stuff. But yeah, just knowing that you can be the person or you can push somebody to be the person makes a difference. And you're not just doing it because of yourself, because I mean, we are sitting in a better position. You're doing it because you can for somebody and change a generation of women. My goal is to make life easier for my daughters and the women after us because we enjoy this benefit today because some women and some men put themselves on the line to make these changes for us. Awesome, thank you. Um, so here's my final question. I mean, we've said what a big part of what is gonna cause the change and allow for more women is more women being in the position to write those checks more women being in the position to mentor, do a lot of that. But I will even take us a, a step backwards and say, there is a pro there's a pipeline problem. Mm -hmm. And I, I also do a bit in the tech space. And I, so, I mean, I, I've seen it now. I'm not just talking about stats. Like I've actually seen, um, sometimes they'll, they'll put out a call for XYZ women only. And it's like a struggle to get that. Um, I think that's one of the key issues that we have to figure out. In your opinion, I, I know this is really broad, but how do we start fixing that issue, um, that pipeline issue? I think we need more poster child. We need more people that there's a particular lady on Twitter. Um, she's a co-founder for Bycoins. She's self-taught, had no background in tech. And I love the way they beat her drum and they talk about her, put her in front, let people know. I had no experience in tech. I taught myself and I did it. It's easier than you showing the theory or go and start that internship. Bring up all the poster childs, people that have done it before and let them be in their faces and make all the right noises. We're gonna back it up with research. We're gonna back it up with funding. We're going to go to the universities. We're going to mediate. We're going to, it's a lot of work really. It's a lot of work. 
and we're going to put it there. So if this is like a long-term play, we start seeing the dividend maybe after like five years or 10 years, you know, tech companies start going to university or even secondary schools and start having those conversations, go with the people that actually had no background. It's an easier conversation than those that seem like they've always been there. They have a computer science degree and things like that. So it's a long-term play, painful, but we can do it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I agree with Tosi a lot because when we, during COVID, we did um, a survey and I found out that, um, I think I was shocked to see the income versus age versus uh, university degree. And if there's anything that's sitting in this position as Tosi, I mean, there's some of my clients that, you know, they, they're caterers and stuff. And maybe I think at the time we were championing um, have LinkedIn, um, create a LinkedIn account. And I went there and I saw computer engineering, first degree, MBA in blah, blah, blah abroad. And I was, you know, I, I almost wanted to. So I noticed that for most women, education has not translated to, mm. to something. And I saw the problem because I, I mean, like, typically, like, I think one thing I like about uh, Shikudet is that for me, I think the exciting part for me is like, it's a research tool. And I started wondering what was the problem? Like these women were getting educated, they were getting everything, but they were going back to look like their mother. And when I started trying to work on myself, I started realizing that you become who you see, who, the picture you have in your subconscious mind. I am this woman today, not because, I mean, my mom was a teacher, because my dad died when I was nine and I saw my 27 year old mother drag four kids. And I said, I didn't want to be broke. That was the only reason. I was not the smartest in class. Like if you look at my results, that wasn't who I am. I just saw a picture of a woman I did not want to become. And all my life, I made sure I did not become her. For most women, they're not, they're not, they're not very conscious about themselves that way. They go get PhDs, come back to Nigeria, maybe get married. And before you know it, society will say, ah, you don't need to be ambitious. And they forget that there is a mental picture in their head. And that mental picture is who they will become. I, when I work with women entrepreneurs, I tell them that you need to work on changing the mental picture in your head. So the fact that Tosi said, you know, putting up um, more people, you know, to be like, it's, it's, it's something that, I mean, it works very well. Then another thing again, that I noticed with pipeline is that women like perfection. I mean, I was talking to my, uh, one of my investors and he was saying, oh, you, you guys were doing your YC combination. Why don't you, did you, you know, and he thought I submitted it and I did submit it because it wasn't perfect for me. So just training, I began to train myself to say, don't stand in the line. It doesn't have to be perfect. The people they pick are not perfect people. They're just people that show up. Like, you know, that whole narrative about showing up is better than train up perfect sometimes. <laughs> so yeah. just show up, just be there, just be safe. And that's what I'm teaching myself. And that's what I notice. Like when we look at women and entrepreneurship and think about funding and think of opportunities, like I said, I was there for four years. I did not see women. I mean, if we'd seen, we'd have maybe even if it's $5,000 or $10,000, we'd have put it just so that we'll have representation. But women, I mean, when I talk to them on the other end, they just feel like this is not for me. I will never get it. So they don't show up. So it's just working on yourself to show up. <laughs> yeah, it is a, it's a great way to get people to join the pipeline. Um, 
and I agree 100%. Even someone like me that is supposedly like, okay, um, I've lived outside Africa, I've seen more examples of women, you know, succeeding. Um, at least he was asking me, how, how large do you want your company? I'm like, well, I'm okay with XYZ revenue per year. And they're like, more, like you need to dream more. You know? <laughs> That's how my mentor talks to me. Yeah, I'm like, five million, like if I do five million annually, that's like a good, and it's like, eh, you know, <laughs> I'm like, where's, uh, but anyway, uh, it, it just goes to show like sometimes, I, I don't know, maybe it's the way we're socialized, um, but I think it's something definitely to be conscious of um, because even it affects women when they're negotiating for their jobs and salaries. Wow. Um, it, it, it affects a lot more than, you know, just being an entrepreneur. So um, let me tell you a quick story. I mean, I was trying to raise money and I did this valuation. Um, I mean, I'm not sure where. I just felt like, you know, I think the first time I gave somebody, the person hassled me a lot. So I brought it down. So when I started doing PR, I got a lot of people. I said seen that when I told them, they said pay money. You know, they said, okay, let's close this deal quickly. Then I knew that there was something wrong. If right. everybody was trying to close deals quickly, there's something wrong. And when I talked to somebody else, I noticed that I was charging, like I was valued like five or six X more than I was saying I was valued. Mm. And it just comes from the fact that, you know, first of all, when you show up, they try to harass you because you're a woman. So I'm like, but I'm also trying to work on it as a person. But just knowing that these are the challenges of being female and trying to improve it gives you a better chance for tomorrow. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you both so much, Ifama and Uluwatosin. Uh, Thank you. Um, and, and just as a wrap up, I mean, I guess. Some of you were here from the beginning, um, but having conversations with people around you about this topic is, is always a, a starting point. Um, if there are, I guess, maybe women around you, uh, you know, in this space, um, it's nice to sort of show them that they're bigger than maybe how they see themselves also. Um, and I think also um, whatever platforms we all have, elevating, um, su success stories, I think is a, is a really big deal, like really putting that out there. Um, I'm definitely going to work on doing a lot more of that with my tiny platform. But um, um, if a lot of us are doing that, it doesn't become this unique story when one woman in West Africa has a company that does X, Y, Z or is successful. It becomes a, more of the norm. Um, and hopefully we can eventually get policies to, to follow that trend too, because that's a whole other conversation. Uh, working with government and policies and um, that's why I feel like our conversation is something we should have probably had in an hour and a half uh, I have, yeah um, and then during government they I feel like they wake up every day and they're like how can I make the lives of every entrepreneur crazy um, but yeah so that's like I said that's another conversation um, again thank you both so much for being here and for everyone here that is going to be for the next session, we're going to have a proper networking session as proper as you can get with a virtual platform. No, um, but it should be fun um, and a nice way to start ending our conference. Um, so we will start that in about 10 minutes. Um, and we're not closing the link, it'll be here. So thank you all for being here. And I will play um, a little slideshow to help us transition to the next one. Thank you both. Thank you.
Here are the closing remarks from our conference by Aisha Lehman, the General Secretary of the African Public Health Network. Okay, so all thanks said, all gratitude and um, acknowledgements. Um, personally, I would say that um, I wouldn't have had it better with any other group. First, there was a lot of learning, a lot of learning. And um, I think that's why, <laughs> that's why we're all together, you know? And I'm taking a lot away from this group. And while I was just um, rounding, trying to round up for today, I just thought about it. This would be a great board to be, you know, leading a world-class health organization. So who knows what the future is going to bring, but amazing team and amazing conference. Thank you again to all our sponsors, partners, speakers and attendees we hope to be in touch with you we hope to find you and we hope to keep collaborating with you please keep in touch with us and um, hopefully the future gives us a chance to work together again thank you bye everyone bye, bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. For more ways to connect with us, find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. If you'd rather just talk to us, you can send us an email at APHN underscore JHSPH at JHU.edu. Again, it's APHN underscore JHSPH at JHU.edu. More info in the show notes. Thank you.